Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It is MoneyWeb's weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. And I have a very special guest this week. My guest is Alistair MacDonald. He is the Vice President and Institutional Portfolio Manager for Franklin Templeton Emerging Market and is based in Singapore. Um, um, and Frankel Templeton is, of course, one of the largest emerging market uh, specialists um, in the world. And uh, they look at several markets around the world, including South Africa. Alistair, welcome to the show. The first half of the year wasn't a good one for emerging markets. And this was mostly due to concerns uh, over rising U.S. interest rates, a stronger dollar, and, of course, concerns about the impact of a potential trade war between the United States and China. What are your views on the current environment for emerging markets? Okay, well, um, thank you for the question. So I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head in terms of the key drivers of of market sentiment in emerging market year to date. I I think our general view is that we've seen a divergence between an overwhelming focus of the market on macroeconomic issues, and so specifically the US dollar and, and trade concerns, as you mentioned, and somewhat ignoring the underlying positives from an equity fundamentals perspective. So we find it uh, interesting in talking to clients that we spend much of our time uh, focused on inevitably at the moment from somewhat of a defensive standpoint, spending much of our time focusing on on the broader macroeconomic issues whilst trying uh, with um, a very high degree of effort to really focus in our clients' and investors' minds on, on the positive underlying fundamentals at a company level. So when it comes to the macro side of things, Undoubtedly, a, a strengthening U.S. dollar, if sustained, is, is bad news for emerging markets. However, our view, and, and, uh, and it's also shared by our, our global macro team, is that emerging market currencies, or at least certain emerging market currencies, are actually quite heavily undervalued relative to, to the U.S. dollar. Um, markets are forward-looking, so a lot of negative sentiment towards EM currencies was already priced in if we go back to 2013 and 2015. Um, And up until very recently, we had actually seen a a strong uh, performance out of emerging market currencies, uh, in particular over over 2017. The the concerns we've seen year-to-date and U.S. dollar strength year-to-date has been driven by a a slight upward revision in terms of market consensus estimates on interest rate trajectory in the United States, as well as we think an element of risk aversion relating to trade war concerns. We don't think this, this derails the story from an, from an emerging market equity investor standpoint. And certainly from a, from a trade war perspective, we think there are a host of aspects that are still favorable from, from the perspective of emerging markets. But there seems to have been, you know, some emotional response, maybe an overreaction, as if you alluded to, especially to macroeconomic developments. But do you foresee a normalization of exchange rates in the near to, to medium term? If we look at U.S. economic policy and when one thinks about the longer term value of the U.S. dollar, I think it's fair to say that we certainly do see the relative fundamentals as being attractive in certain emerging markets. You have in the U.S. a a short-term boost to economic growth driven by these tax cuts that have gone through and any potential impact on on, on inflation that may have will in turn potentially push up rates somewhat. But over over the next, say, two to three years, you're expecting U.S. rate of growth to, to trend back down below 2%. These tax cuts are entirely deficit-funded. And in addition, one of the key 
aims, as, as we all know from various tweets of, uh, of the U.S. administration, is to reduce the trade deficits that the United States has, which will inevitably almost uh, require a weaker U.S. dollar. So you have somewhat of a, a dichotomy in terms of pressures on, on the U.S. dollar. And so fundamentally, we, we do find some underlying attractive aspects of, of EM currencies when we look at the growth outlook, when we look at the but the level of valuations at the moment, which are heavily beaten down, we find a lot to actually be positive about. Which emerging markets do you think will outperform others if the scenario you've just described plays itself out? So one of the interesting aspects about the, the trade uh, dispute so far is that you've seen a very asymmetric market reaction. You know, generally, if we if we think about sort of post-war market consensus that has generally been that free trade is good for all parties, um, you know, both those uh, nations, um, on, on, there's two sides of the coin and, and both sides benefit. The way the market is reacting at the moment is that a trade war between the U.S. and China is, is negative for China, but has no impact on the U.S. At least that's the conclusion one might draw from the, the divergence in terms of equity market performance. And so when we look at the valuations of, of, of Chinese companies, when we look at the, the underlying strengths in the Chinese economy, um, the ongoing reform efforts of, of the government there, you know, we, we're, we're very optimistic on the outlook for, uh, for, for our positioning in that country. And we do think that the market is pricing in an excessively negative outcome when it comes specifically to China, but also more generally to, towards the end when it comes to, to trade. China has become a, a large counterweight to the United States in terms of uh, volume and, uh, and value of trade across Asia and across emerging markets as a whole. Um, and so we, we think that this market reaction we've seen has been really quite excessive. And, and perhaps if we're optimistic, we can put down some of it to the fact that uh, you know, it is summer. Um, it has been the World Cup. Many people, <laughs> many traders have been uh, distracted and perhaps looking to take some risk off the table in the short term. And then as you know, the year continues, we may see a, a, a firmer level of support for, for Chinese equities and EM equities in, in, in general. But in terms of our positioning, what, what primarily informs uh, our country weights is essentially bottom-up stock selection. So we're not really taking a, a top-down view on any given country. It's just that in, in China and, and amongst a number of other nations, we do find you know, a lot of very good quality companies. Let's uh, talk about the South African market. Uh, what is your perception of the investability of our market? So I think you've seen in, in, in South Africa a, a considerable improvement in sentiment. You know, there have obviously been um, you know, some political challenges and, and, and previously and also concerns of um, the impact of declining commodity prices on, uh, on the South African economy. Um, in both of those instances, some of the, uh, the, the headwinds have have been removed, um, and there is perhaps a, a greater degree of optimism. Um, if we look at the extent to which investment has, has fallen off in the South African economy and over the past uh, several years, I think it could be fair to say that there is a potential for that to, to increase um, and uh, you know, boosting overall economic growth and, uh, and, and market sentiment as well. So when it comes to South Africa, we're, we're, we're more optimistic than we were a, a couple of years ago. Um, our exposures there are, are still relatively limited. We do have uh, an office in South Africa, um, and we've been in, you know, present in South Africa for uh, for around uh, around I believe 20 years now, from an investment standpoint. So it's, it's a market in which we have a you know, high degree of, of of depth from a research perspective, but where opportunities have been relatively 
few and far between. So you know, forward-looking basis, we're, we're definitely more optimistic on the trajectory of, of the South African economy. Are you increasing your exposure to the local market? At the moment, um, we've been we're remaining cautious. Uh, I think it, it takes time to um, see things turn around at, uh, at, at the overall market level. And so at the moment, we're, we're cautious and our primary exposure in, in South Africa is, uh, is, is not really a, a domestic orientated um, uh, exposure. Looking at some of your funds, um, I'm looking at the fact sheet of the uh, uh, Templeton Emerging Market Balanced Fund, and it's quite clear that you uh, are invested in NASPAS. Um, it is the single largest investment equity holding. But I also see that you hold Tencent as well. Why would you uh, be invested in both those counters? So in general, when we look at two positions, there's quite a there can be a valuation difference between the two of them. And accordingly, investing in one over the other at, at times can be relatively more attractive. Underlying exposure to, to the Chinese domestic economy and, and, and technology sector is, is what we find attractive. Um, it's just a question of, of the relative valuations between those, uh, the, those two means of accessing uh, that, that sector. Are you concerned about the significant discount to which NASPERS is trading to its investment in Tencent? To be honest, I probably uh, wouldn't be able to go into much detail on that just from a, um, a, a disclosure policy on our side. Do you have any access to uh, South African bonds? No, so we, we exclusively invest in the equity side. So the African market in general, are there other opportunities on the continent which you think would offer more potential than the South African market? We do also invest um, extensively in, in, in so-called frontier markets. So, so we do have exposures across um, a number of other African countries from Senegal to, to, to Kenya, from Egypt to, uh, to Nigeria. So you know, from, from a stock-specific basis, again, we do find some, some excellent quality companies. Um, you know, perceptions externally on, on some of these countries can, uh, can at times be negative. Um, and that, that, that provides an opportunity for, for those investors who are uh, willing to perhaps go a little bit against the grain and uh, you know, search in these less popular markets to find um, you know, quality companies that, that stand to, to grow at a sustainable level in, in coming years. So, so yes, we do and have been investing uh, fairly extensively across Africa for, for, for quite a few years now. If you look at an emerging market, especially the smaller ones, uh, not the big uh, Chinas and, and Indias, how do you go about evaluating the potential, uh, you know, as you want to outperform uh, other markets as well uh, and, and you expect a significant upside in the Chinese market? Uh, how do you evaluate those opportunities? Really, for us, it comes down to, to having, having our, our research team on the ground in these countries and traveling in the countries, meeting extensively with the, with the management, with the owners of, of, of various companies. We would argue that particularly in your frontier uh, markets and particularly within smaller capitalization stocks across the, the emerging market universe, that there's a lot of potential for, for inefficiencies and, and mispricings, in part just because these typically are not crowded trades. Almost by definition, you don't have the same degree of, of passive investments in, in these markets or, or companies um, or, or ETF investing. And so one of the plus sides of that is you, you perhaps less correlated with, uh, with global markets and, and certainly the large cap indices, which, uh, which can at times move um, with, with a degree of unison, uh, in part driven by the, the extent to which an ETF 
buying and selling can, can influence um, overall markets. So, so really, in the end, we, we find these inefficiencies you know, ample grounds for us to find opportunities. And so having you know, local language-speaking research analysts, people who are familiar with the cultures, who understand people across the table from them as company management and so on, that really is critical in, in determining whether a company is an attractive investment over a, over a long-term time horizon. In which emerging markets are you currently investing uh, and, and, you know, conversely, in which markets are you actually reducing your exposure? Well, so currently we would be invested in you know, across, I would imagine, well over uh, 30, between 30 and 40 markets across our various funds. Um, and so it, what, what's really determining this, as, as mentioned, is, you know, is, is individual company basis. So not so much taking a top-down view as, as to whether we should increase our exposure in, in Kenya or South Africa at the expense of China, but rather where do we find the best companies. You know, one of the areas where markets have been a little bit more reticent, shall we say, has, has definitely been Russia. Uh, that's a market in which... Um, We've found valuations for the past couple of years have been extremely appealing, and, and where we have where we have built some exposure, but but also a market that faces some you know, at times higher macro or, or, or regulatory risks than, than some others. So, so that's a, a market where we've had um, had some some success, um, but but really you know, a lot of the larger markets have been attractive. You've seen a rebound in both Russia and Brazil from from deep recessions. You've seen ongoing secular growth trends in, in China and India. Paired with that, you have a host of smaller countries that are relatively neglected, which have you know, many individual companies that, uh, that we find very attractive. I want to return to bonds. Um, in your uh, emerging market bond fund, you have uh, significant exposure to Argentina, Brazil, but also um, a significant investment in Ghana, of all places. Why would you invest in Ghana and not, uh, for example, in South African bonds? I'm afraid so. That's actually a, a different team managing that, uh, that, that strategy. So our team is just exclusively focused on, on the equity side. So I'm, I'm sorry to say I wouldn't really be able to, uh, to provide much insight on, on that side of things. South Africans uh, on the southern tip of uh, Africa, sometimes we believe, uh, you know, we're not more significant in, in world terms than we are actually are. If you are a South African investor and you would like to invest offshore in the broader international market, how would you advise those investors to, to invest which markets and uh, in the current uncertain environment uh, in which asset classes uh, and if you can maybe even be more specific uh, what would you do if you would have a significant investment here where would you invest that yeah i think you hit on a, a very common aspect of, of investing globally and that is that most investors have a very high degree of home bias um, now perhaps if you're uh, you're living in the united states which is the world's the largest and, and deepest capital market, then, then that home bias is perhaps more justified. But if you're perhaps in a smaller market, whether that be the UK or South Africa or uh, or, or any other indeed you know, emerging or developed market globally, uh, it becomes harder to, to justify that, that lack of diversification. So accordingly, we think it's very important to have geographic diversification, but also one aspect of that that is sometimes overlooked is the inherent sector diversification that you can gain through being invested overseas. And so when one looks at the South African market and the South African economy, it is 
perhaps uh, relative to other countries globally, disproportionately impacted by you know, commodities, for example. The, the financial sector is, is, is relatively large, and homegrown domestic technology companies are, are relatively few and far between. Although, of course, as, as you mentioned, NASPERS has, has some exposure in, in, in China and elsewhere. So accordingly, we would argue that you know, investing in countries that do provide a degree of sector diversification, and so the U.S., of course, has a high degree of technology exposure, but often overlooked. Emerging markets actually has a higher degree of technology exposure at an index level than, than even the United States. And so you know, when we speak to investors and when we travel in, in South Africa in particular, often, often clients say, well, you know, this is an emerging market. I already have my emerging markets exposure. Why would I need to invest in other emerging markets? And well, the answer really is, is what I've just been, been specifying. The drivers of economic growth and of, 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 um, of equity markets across differing emerging countries it can be wildly different from what is determining returns within a given country such as South Africa. So we think those are some of the important considerations from an equity standpoint um, that investors should be looking at. That was Alistair MacDonald, a vice president and institutional portfolio manager for the Franklin Templeton Emerging Markets Group, and he is based in Singapore.